I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service, especially our guests and visitors. I am Naya Swami Parvati. This is Naya Swami Pranaba, and it's our great joy to be here this morning. I'll read first from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Week four, the infinite Christ. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John contains some of the most profound spiritual teachings in the Bible. In the first chapter, many subtle truths are suggested concerning higher states of self-realization. Here, John the Baptist is, is described as one reaching up toward that high state. He was not that light, the gospel tells us, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus Christ, by contrast, is described as the light itself. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. One essential truth stands out in this teaching, that Jesus came not to dogmatize people with a new teaching, but to bring them timeless, universal truths. Disciples saw the Master clothed in human form, and therefore judged him in terms of his greatness relative to the greatness of other teachers. Wisdom, however, sees the Master's very greatness in terms of a cosmic unity. There is a passage in the path by Swami Kriyananda in which this point is emphasized. The Master Paramhansa Yogananda explained, The saint who attains that exalted consciousness never says, I am God, for he sees it was the vast ocean that became his little wave of ego. The wave, in other words, would not claim, when referring to the little self, to be the ocean. At this juncture, Debbie, who was present, cried excitedly, But sir, if you are one with that ocean, that means you are God. Why I, Master asked, say he, he is God. But still, sir, you are one with him, and he is the only reality. That means you too are God. But this body isn't God. You aren't identified with your body, sir, so one may still say that you are God. Well, in that case, why do you say you? You too are that. In a discussion of this sort, it is less confusing if we say he. But what's the difference? The scriptures say, Master began, it's only your humility, sir, Davy broke in, that makes you distinguish between yourself and him. How can there be humility when there is no consciousness of ego? Triumphantly, Debbie cried, But if you have no ego left, that means you are God. Master laughingly continued the earlier statement, which Debbie had interrupted. The scriptures say, He who knows Brahma becomes Brahma. There, cried Debbie, you said it yourself. Master rejoined still laughingly, 
I didn't say it. It's the scriptures that say so. Master, in other words, would not identify those words with the human body speaking them. It was in his overarching spirit that he saw himself one with the infinite. But Debbie was unable to make this mental leap from a pure expression of infinity to infinity itself. You quoted those scriptures, sir, he reminded Master relentlessly. (laughs) That means you agree with them. Recognizing that the distinction was perhaps too subtle for many to grasp, Master concluded, well, he who says he is God isn't God. And he added with a smile, he who says he isn't, isn't. <laughs> and, there, and there the subject rested amid general laughter. The greater a spiritual teaching, the more greatly we betray it by particularizing it with dogmas. Truth itself, not the Christian truth or the Hindu truth, incarnates on earth with the birth of a fully liberated master. As the Bhagavad Gita teaches in the fourth chapter, unborn, changeless, Lord of creation and controller of my cosmic nature, though I am, yet entering nature, I am dressed in the cosmic garment of my own maya delusion. O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. to read to you from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of Prayer Demands, Whispers from Eternity. O Heavenly Trinity, Om Tatsat, God the Transcendent Father, God the Eminent Christ Consciousness, and God the Holy Creative Vibratory Force of all creation, grant me the wisdom to know thy truth. Through my self-effort and knowing, my knowing acceptance of the law, Help me up the golden ladder of realization to stand at last on the shining summit of attainment face to face with the one spirit, perfect, everlasting bliss. It is indeed a very profound teaching that uh, is conveyed here in this reading. Very profound. Uh, Probably one that soars right past a lot of us at different times. The idea of the infinite Christ unfortunately gets muddled up with, as it says in the reading, with our personal, egoic-bound understanding. And again, that's not entirely a bad thing that we have it uh, bound a little. We just need to unbind that and go past it. But, you know, even reading the people that have chronicled um, the coming of yoga to the West, you read various books and articles. And... I've read a number of them that indicate Yogananda's coming to the West uh, when he saw what the West was, that he compromised what he brought and 
emphasize the teachings of Christianity. But of course he didn't do that. Actually, if you read the original aims and ideals way back in the early editions of the writings of Yogananda, uh, it actually doesn't even say the original Christianity. It says that he came to emphasize the true ideals and the essence of the original teachings of Jesus Christ, along with the essence of the original teachings of the great masters of self-realization of India. And often we see it written now that um, it's the teachings of original Christianity, which is still applicable. The challenge for us is that Christianity itself has cloaked those teachings over 2,000 years and present themselves in the form with emphasis rather than the essence. One time someone asked Swami Kriyananda the question, so that blend of the teachings of Jesus and of, of yoga. And he said, it's not a blend. And that's the significant part. It is taking the essence of both those streams of consciousness to find the unifying consciousness behind it. But it's not blending uh, the Christian teachings or the Hindu teachings. It's going into the experience of self-realization. And it's so easy to be fuddled by that. Uh, even here at Ananda, we find that the celebrations that are related to the life of Jesus, Christmas and Easter, it's very easy, even if you're not Christian uh, and don't have that upbringing, have had no upbringing, to start to emphasize the outward form that's surrounded, sort of the outward aura that's surrounded the life of Jesus. Now remember, even the idea of having a crash scene at Christmas didn't come into existence until St. Francis had the vision of that. Well, that was 1,200 years after the life of Jesus um, in that form. And so what we also forget, and you can hear a lot of us talk this way, that we substitute Jesus and Christ as one. Now, of course, in the highest experience, they are as one. But what this reading is pointing out is that Jesus the man was also Jesus the Christ. So that Christ is even understood in India. It has the term Kudista Chaitanya, the Christ consciousness. Or even the idea of Krishna consciousness is the same as Christ consciousness. But you can see what red flags come up for a lot of people. Um, both in India and in the West, when they hear Christ consciousness, Christian consciousness. But Krishna is, but Christ is. And what we are being asked to do is to not deny that, but to transcend it. And that's a big difference. In the West, we want to have an either-or. Well, is it Christ consciousness, or is it this other thing you're saying? And what the teachings are really emphasizing is, no, go from where you're at, whatever your form is, whatever your belief system is, but transcend that. The infinite Christ is not limited to any form or religion. I remember years ago, when we were the directors of Ananda in Portland, Oregon, that uh, we got invited to the small gathering of different spiritual traditions with um, this Catholic monk, uh, a priest, Father Thomas Keating. He may be familiar to some of you. His mission in life, actually his commission in life from the Vatican II Council back in the 1960s, 
has been to bring the interior life back to Christianity, uh, to bring meditation. And so he spent his life in the last 50 years really doing that, bringing meditation into the lives of those sincere seekers, whether they be Roman Catholic Christians or Protestant Christians or atheists. He never put a barrier on that. But it was his commission. He was given this as his role to play primarily and to really offer this. Well, we had met him years before when we had started Ananda up in Seattle, Washington. And Krishnadas was there as well when we met Thomas Keating. And so we knew and were familiar with him. He was a very uh, deep soul. But in the smaller gathering, what was very interesting was it just became so apparent that he was certainly steeped in the Christian church tradition, but he has also explored other things. He had spent time in his Zen monastery for quite a while and certainly knew about us and all of our traditions. But in the discussion, it was more of a discussion, but he sort of led, sort of a satsang where he was leading um, with some points, that it dawned on me that his vocabulary was certainly um, the emphasis of being in the Christian tradition, pretty much. But listening to it with discernment and openness, it transcended that. Because he wasn't trying to limit it with that, but that's what his familiarity in discussing it. And he used a lot of things in cosmic terms just as we do. But I thought that's really what happens with us is that we see certain things happening and that tradition grows and grows. I mean, if you ever want to read the history of the Christian church, it's a good thing to do because it's very different than what most people have any idea what it is. Um, you know, things like the evangelical movement are very, very recent in the Christian tradition. And yet the, uh, that emphasis that they bring into understanding the teaching of Jesus is really off on a tangent. I remember listening to National Public Radio not that long ago uh, and hearing this discussion with this man who was one of the most well-known evangelical preachers in this country. And I can't recall his name. But he was an African-American, and his congregations were 8,000, 9,000 people in one of these mega churches. And he had this dawning realization at one point about hell. That hell couldn't be the way that the Christian tradition has evolved to understand it. There's no way that God would command us, if we blew it, to be residing in hell for infinity. And it was a real dilemma, because even more than other Christian traditions, the emphasis on hell is pretty forceful in the evangelical movement. And he started to just, it became a a wedge into shifting a perspective of what Jesus really came to offer, not what the Christian tradition has come to offer. And he was branded a heretic. And he wrote a book on that. I think it's called Being a Heretic. (laughs) (laughs) But 
he was banned from preaching his understanding of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, primarily in this point, but other points start to surface that shifted his awareness. And, and this is the point that this reading today really is asking of us to not only appreciate, because if you look at the infinite Christ, there's really, well, there's infinite possibilities of understanding <laughs> what's going on here. But just picking up two strands uh, are helpful. Because one, it can be so esoteric and removed from us, why bother? Why even go in that direction of even caring about that there's an infinite Christ? What meaning does it have to you and me? Well, it does have meaning. One, as uh, the reading portrays from the Bhagavad Gita, and it will be explored more next week with uh, Naya Swami's Gyandev and Diksha on the avatar. But the point is that that the infinite Christ is a living experience in those that have come into that perfection of their oneness in God. And so they are living in that Christ consciousness. Well, what does Christ consciousness mean? Actually, what does it mean? It's a good thing, even though I'm going to tell you something, um, try to just really go into that, maybe do some more readings but also pursue this in meditation. What is the infinite Christ? What is Christ consciousness? Well, Yogananda said it simply, that Christ consciousness is when we have our awareness in complete oneness with every atom and particle of creation. So it's a very powerful effect. Well, we may not be there, but why it's emphasized is that we shouldn't just be happy or content with that I believe in Jesus and to whatever extent that belief may be. That can't be enough. And the teachings of the great masters of East and West have explored that that can't be enough. You look at the life of St. Teresa of Avila, one of the uh, fathers, the doctors of the Roman Catholic Church. So very respected in terms of that understanding of the teachings. She came to this experience in her own interior life of the formless Christ, the formless Jesus as well. So there wasn't that image. There wasn't that concept. There wasn't that relationship to that being that we relate to as Jesus the Christ. It was purely the Christ itself without form. Now, in her tradition, there was nothing to support that. And so the response from her confessor was that this was the work of the devil. This was Satan testing her. That it had to be Jesus with form that would be the highest experience. But luckily, they found that in the teachings of the early fathers, this was the emphasis of that the formless Christ was the deepest and highest experience of consciousness. And so you can see that it's a difficult thing for us. So it's good to realize in our own perspective when we're dealing with the great masters that really what they're there to show us is not that they're perfect, 
but that they have gone through what we are going through to arrive at that perfection. You know, one of the few books, at least that I can uh, find, that Paramahansa Yogananda emphasized for devotees to read, is called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. You don't really find any other references to other books, but it was important enough where he gave it as a Christmas gift to the renunciates uh, at, at Christmas time. But he said it was very important. But just look at the title. That's the point. It's not believing in the great masters that they are perfect. It's the imitation. Now, the book is called The Imitation of Christ. It's not called The Imitation of Jesus. But both are valid. The imitation of Jesus is a very, very significant way that we can approach the understanding of that transcendence from the human ego controlling our lives to the soul being that individualized spirit being at the, in the driver's seat with us. But also the imitation of Christ means that there's more than even our understanding of it that needs to happen. Well, the mind says, well, but understanding is everything. That's the way the mind is engaged. If it's beyond the mind, then what is it? Well, it's obvious. It's consciousness. You can't have the mind as being the instrument that's one with everything in in all of creation. It doesn't have that capacity. Hey, you can test this out. How many times have you had a meditation where it felt pretty bad. It was a pretty crummy meditation. What's defining that? Your mind, your attachments, your emotions. It isn't your consciousness. There are times when we have outwardly, outwardly, inwardly, slash maybe between the two, a meditation that's full of thoughts, full of restlessness. But to confine that to the definition from the conscious mind that it was a bad meditation or poor meditation, it's not a great thing to do. You don't know that that was a bad meditation. Sometimes in meditation when we're clearing house, when we're doing spring cleaning, it seems pretty yucky when you get underneath those stoves and refrigerators. Um, We've been uh, in the Ohm building, which is where the the Sangha office outreach ministry is and Crystal Clarity is, we've um, been having the painting redone and the carpet redone. Well, there was some pretty gross stuff when we cleaned out. Uh, Well, it's like that, that we think that's good or bad. It just is. You know, we're cleaning out. And so sometimes the turbulence becomes the focus point for us. We're caught by that. And we engage in that. And we actually feed it by thinking it's not a good meditation. It really, in in the deepest sense, is neither good nor bad. It is the experience of us diving deep and releasing some of the turbulence, which is the karmic seeds of attachments and desires. But if we're really tuning into meditation in the way that we've been taught, and that's the key that we've been taught, that we're releasing that stuff. That's why it's so important at the end of the techniques not just to end your meditation. 
but to go into that quiet stillness where we really allow those seeds of karma, that restlessness, those turbulent energies of emotions to be released. But to say it was good or bad, it just isn't really possible to understand that from the conscious mind, really. It's poorly designed for that understanding. What's really important for that experience is that we offered into the superconscious. You know, it's like the affirmation that we did, uh, or any affirmation that we do. Um, it, it's, it's easy to leave it on the conscious level, even when we do it in a whisper and silently. What we're being asked to do is to become that affirmation. So it's not so much even the way that we talk about affirmation, which is valid and works, that we're trying to bring that affirmation as an experience of that quality today on energy. But you know, in the true sense of what's happening, you are that energy. You are that quality of energy or love or stillness or peace, whatever. So what's really happening when we do an affirmation we're offering ourselves with increased focus and energy into the experience that's already ours. So in a sense, that is what's happening. We're just engaging our total being to be integrated into that, so it's not separate. So having the idea of the model of the imitation of Christ, of of an avatar like Jesus or Yogananda, that we see the potential of our true soul union with infinite spirit. We see it's possible. We see that what happens when tests happen? Where is the consciousness? And so the infinite Christ is always there in that way through the examples of those that have ascended much like you and I will and then descended to bring the blessings so that we take those steps with more confidence, with more presence of their influence. The other part of the infinite Christ is that we need to transcend in our own experience and learn to behave in that expanded awareness. It's not enough, as we talked about and we talk about frequently, to say, I believe in something. We have to become that. So to nurture that experience is something that we can do at every moment. And it has to be every moment. If we leave it just to the, the depth of meditation that happens, or maybe the depth of meditation that doesn't happen in our meditation space, we will be basically split in two, and we're going to be dysfunctional. What we need to do is have the attitude, as Yogananda reminded us, as his guru said, Sri Tishwari would say, learn to behave. Well, in part, learn to behave is the fundamentals of functioning, and we're doing the right things. But then if you really read what the emphasis is in that, it's that elevation in every moment of drawing the highest to that experience. That's really what it means when we talk about learning to behave. It's not doing, quote, the right things. It's doing those things that allow our attunement to be also evident in our outward life. And and so, like with Thomas Keating, you can be befuddled by the drama of 
the setting. And you can see that. I mean, what are myths and legends? We think of myths now in our current time as being more like fairy tales. But that's not the tradition of myths, if you look into it. The, the idea of a myth is to convey something in a more poignant, descriptive way of what reality is that bypasses the conscious mind. It includes the conscious mind, but it bypasses it to that deeper sense of feeling from the heart's energy and expanded consciousness through the awakening of the Christ center, the kutasta here at the spiritual eye. But it is in that openness and that expansiveness that we arrive deeply at that experience. It isn't left to God, through God's whim, saying, well, maybe Pranaba gets it today and Parvati not today. You know, it isn't like that. It's always available, that consciousness, that infinite Christ, that cosmic consciousness, which leads us into Christ consciousness. And so the reading I offered from Yogananda, from Whispers from Eternity, the Om Tat Sat. So that Om vibration is the living presence of God's energy that as we move into that, as we find that experience, as we then merge into it, then we open up to that Christ consciousness and then we merge into cosmic consciousness and then there is no separation. And so, but even then in saying that I am God, as this funny story is revealing to us, we say that the wave has become the ocean. And in that way, we can then find this little clue to act upon in every moment. That as I offer the wave effect of God's presence back to God, then that wave is empowered to be more of God. And so, the infinite Christ has meaning then for us in a practical way. That we look at the great masters and then we imitate them. And then we find in every moment, in meditation or in activity, how do we lift up the spirit within, the soul qualities, into the practical life that we live and merge that together? Let's be in that infinite Christ.